greet you this morning in the lovely name of Jesus. I don't suppose we all came out in exactly the same place in Sunday school class about whether they made a wise decision or whether they didn't, and partly because we just don't know. You know, we don't know whether, uh, we don't know whether, in, 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 along with the famine, they, uh, they saw the little boys growing up and, and their uh, playmates were uh, the wrong kind of company. And uh, they said, you know, we need to get out of here. Um, we don't know what all happened in their lives. And I just, I uh, guess, I was just thinking that sometimes in our in our walk with God and our our church life and our relational life, we uh, we have to make hard choices, and uh, we don't always know what we don't know what the results of those choices are going to be. And you and I can all look around at people that uh, we know that have made choices. And uh, we look at the results of those choices and we say, uh, I don't really want those choices for my family. We look at other people who have made choices and we wonder if uh, maybe if we'd have made those choices, if things would be different. And, uh, you know, we don't know the answers to those things. But uh, the one thing that encourages me was that at the end of the road, they found God. And um, I guess my encouragement to me and to you is when you keep your eyes toward Jesus, even when you go the wrong direction, at the end, you'll find God. Turn with me in your Bibles to... Uh, Luke chapter 12, I think is where you're going to end up anyway. I may end up in a few spots close to that. Um, before that, the um, I chose a title for uh, my sermon this morning, and, and then I didn't think about it a whole lot afterwards, and so I'm not sure if this is a good title for it or not, but I'm going to tell you what it is anyway. And... Uh, Maybe by the time I get done, you can come up with a better one and I can change it in my file for next time. But the, uh, the title of my sermon this morning is Spiritually Bankrupt. A, a song came to my mind and, and wouldn't leave, and uh, which is one reason I decided to preach on this subject. And it was the uh, song that asked the question, where will you spend eternity? I'm going to turn, first of all, though, to uh, Mark chapter 8, and you don't need to turn that to there necessarily. And just read a few verses. Jesus uh, calls the people to him with the disciples. He said to them, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
My question for you this morning is, what will you give? What will you trade for your soul? You know, when we visit a foreign country, we um, usually need to trade some money in for the country currency because uh, only certain currency is usable in that country. Now, some of us are fortunate when, if we're from the United States. People often like our money well enough that we can, we can spend some of it in other countries. But if you come from any other country, you're usually not quite that fortunate. Um, if you were to go to Sharp Shopper with a pocket full of Guatemala or Mexican currency or even a wheelbarrow full, um, chances are they would tell you that uh, we don't take that here. When you get to eternity's gate, there will be no one there to change your currency from what you have here to what you'll need there. That change needs to be done in this life. And uh, I'm not sure that's a very good illustration even so. But, uh, you know, there's some, there's some things that count with God and there's some things that don't count with God. The, uh, the passage we're going to look at this morning, there's a, a, a key verse there. It says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's sort of like a person who finds himself with a whole wheelbarrow load of counterfeit money. It looks rich, but it doesn't do anything. Or perhaps a mind full of fool's gold. Now, there seems to be something about riches that inhibits our ability to be part of God's kingdom. Um, so the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and... Uh, and um, he starts questioning Jesus and, and he wants to know um, how to get in the kingdom. And, and Jesus gives him, says something very specific to him. And um, he's, uh, he's quite sad and he, he leaves. And Jesus makes this comment. He says, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus used some rather impossible um, illustrations to um, to make a point. And, uh, you know, he used that one about straining out a gnat and swallowing the camel and um, sort of like you get a gnat in your coffee and you go to, go to a bunch of trouble to get the gnat out and then the camel sticks his foot in it and you swallow him whole, which, you know, is, is pretty much impossible. But, but he, he said that to make a point and, uh, you know, or the one about the uh, sawdust in your, in your neighbor's eye and the beam being in your own. In this case, he talks about a, a camel going through the eye of a needle. And uh, the disciples were amazed and they said, well, Lord, who can be saved? And he makes this astounding uh, answer. He says, 
with man. It is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Well, not only is it impossible for a rich man to get to heaven, it's also impossible for anyone else to get there except for one thing, and that's God. But I think Jesus was telling us something, though, that it's additionally hard for anyone else to get there. And uh, the question is, is why? What's, what's about riches that, that, uh, that came up that Jesus was that? Um, it was that hard on it. You know, some people will look at this and say, uh, well, the secret is to get rid of everything. And um, in fact, Jesus did say in uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 33, he says, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old and a treasure in the heaven that fails not where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupteth. I've always puzzled over that a little bit. Wondered if it was what it appeared to be. And But I also noticed that Jesus says, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true, true riches? And so we... Uh, on one hand, we're, we're getting the feeling that, God, uh, that Jesus is saying you need to get rid of everything. On the other hand, he's saying if you're not responsible in finances, you're not going to be responsible anywhere else. And so what is Jesus' point here? I think he's saying that, that uh, just so you don't miss the point of, of it, I think, um, I, I believe what he's saying about selling and giving alms he's saying you need to you need to uh, you need to convert some of your resources here don't just use them all down here and expect to have it when you get there if what you don't convert down here is not up there you know um Back when I was 20 years old, getting old didn't seem, seemed a long ways off. Thinking about having resources to spend when you get old seemed farther off. Um, it, it, there was nothing about that that made a lot of sense to me. Somehow as I get a little older, I really, and um, I get a, yeah, a little older more ways than one, all of a sudden it feels a little more like um, there could come a time in my life when I'm not able to turn a living. And um, somehow it seems like it's a little more, makes a little more sense to have a little something for that time. There will come a time in heaven when, when God is going to take care of all of our needs, okay? But Jesus said for some reason that we should send something ahead. What is that reason? Well, we don't altogether know. Um, partly is what it does for us down here, I'm sure. But I wonder, I wonder if there will not be um, some reward 
for having um, sent something ahead. And not necessarily in a monetary amount. You know, Jesus has a different way of calculating riches than we do, doesn't he? Remember the uh, the lady that put in, uh, was it two pennies? He told the disciples that she put in more than everything everybody else put in. But anyway, I think I think getting back to the the subject, I think that uh, that Jesus is telling us we're responsible to handle both um, our the the unrighteous mammon, as it were, and the true riches. But he's saying that the physical riches can prevent our access to the heavenly riches. That is, our wealth can be negatively tied to our ability to become a kingdom citizen. So I wonder, how do riches hinder us from receiving our kingdom citizenship? Remember, Jesus says how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Well, I'd like to turn to Luke chapter 12 and look at the passage to look at that passage and um, and ask that question: How um, how do riches affect our ability to enter the kingdom of God? And if we're responsible to handle them, but they keep us from heaven, how does that work? Jesus says, "With God, all things are possible." And, you know, I think um, oftentimes we, um, if you're like me, and I think you are, we, uh, we just plain sort of like the idea of having a lot of money, don't we? Um, you know, money makes life a lot easier. Somebody said uh, it's, not, it's no sin to be poor, but it sure is unhandy. And I think... Most of you have probably been at some spot in your life where, where um, having plenty um, was not your state. If you haven't, I feel sorry for you because uh, there's something to be learned in those times that uh, you don't learn any other time. It's, it's not very convenient, but it sure is educational. Luke chapter 12, I'm going to start by reading, um, starting at verse 13. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. And one of the company said to him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesses. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain man, certain rich man, brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my goods, my fruits. And he said to him, This I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. 
Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself. It is not rich toward God. I believe that if once, as we go over this list and see what kind of attitudes are here, I think you will find that there is a basic, the basic problem in thinking is that self has become God and I have become my own savior. I'd like to repeat that again. Self has become God and I have become my own savior. There are some ways that riches can prevent us from being, from taking a part and being a part of the kingdom of God. And um, this is, uh, well, I think we'll just go down and look at these. Number one, riches can consume our energy and attention. He, he looks at his, 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 his wonderful harvest and he says, what will I do? It was requiring a lot of work and a lot of attention. Riches can consume our energy and attention. What am I going to do with all my stuff, he was saying. You know, he, he might have eliminated that problem by, uh, by not having, having anything. But then again, he'd have had, he would have created another problem. Um, he'd have had to go work probably harder than he had to work there. But, uh, but you know, he was just farming. There was nothing wrong with what he was doing. He was just, he was just doing his job. And all of a sudden, this thing just, it just cranked out a, an amazing amount of, uh, of good stuff. What could he have done? Well, it does consume energy and attention. I suppose he could have got rid of some of that work if he would have just, uh, you reckon there was any poor people around? He could have got, he could have unloaded it on. On, I suppose there have been a lot of people have been glad to help him out. Um, it would have taken care of some of that problem. I'm not sure that there was an altogether right or wrong thing for him to do, but. Uh, Jesus does remind us that we are to seek first God's kingdom, not my own kingdom. Riches can drive us to discontent. He says, I will pull down my barns and will build greater. Did he really need all that stuff for all these years? Well, probably not. Timothy reminds us that godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food or raiment, let us be there with content. And he goes on to say, but those that will be rich are, and I can't quote it exactly, they, they, they put themselves in temptation and a snare. Those that will be rich, you see, the problem is not so much being rich, the problem is a desire for it. I've been... Uh, I think probably I have been more covetous when I didn't have than when I had. Covetousness is not is not tied to having necessarily. <coughs> because when, when things get really tight, you get really tempted to start grasping.
So just because you're poor doesn't get you off the hook. Gratefulness is a focus on God. Discontent is a focus on self. Riches can drive us to discontentment. Riches can make us lazy and self-centered. You know, I believe if, if God were his God, his thought would have been about what concerns God. What is God? Why did God give me all of this stuff? You see, though, there is a, there's a, um, I don't know what you call it, but, but people will tend to look at things like this and, and react and say, well, you know, um, God gave us all of this just so we could give it all to everybody else. You've heard those attitudes. Um, but you see, I think we have to remember that when God gives us good things, he's not only giving us good things to give away and to serve others. He's giving it because he likes you. Did you think of that? God is blessing you to bless you too. And, um, but you see, the difference is that the, this, uh, this rich man, his, when he was drawing his picture, the picture just had him in it. You see, when God is drawing the picture, you're part of the picture, but you're not the whole picture. Does that make sense? And so when God gives you good things, he wants you to be a part of the picture. You are part of the picture. He put you in it. He gave it to you. But he wants you to be a part of his picture, not just be a picture of you. So riches can make us lazy and self-centered. He, will, he, he says, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much, much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and have a good time. Well, that's my words, but I think that's sort of what it means. Verse 21 says, so is he that lays up treasure for himself but is not rich before God. You know, I think God-centeredness promotes creativity and self-centeredness promotes hoarding and using up resources. And maybe that's another subject all its own. I'm not certain. Riches provide opportunities for misplaced trust. And so he says, and then I will say to my soul, soul, you, I have, you have much goods laid up for many years. You don't have anything to worry about. Everything is taken care of. You don't have to work anymore. You can go do what you want to do. You can go fishing if you want. You can go hunting if you want. You don't have to work anymore. Everything is okay. And um, you just have a good time. Riches provide opportunity for misplaced trust. Then I won't have to worry about resources. Now Jesus told his disciples not to worry. But he had a different reason not to worry. The reason that they were not to worry is because they had a heavenly father. 
See, in one sense, I'm trusting in me and what I have. In the other sense, I'm trusting in the Father. We'll look at that here shortly. A God focus brings trust in God. When self is God, then the focus is on me. And you know that all works good until one day it doesn't work. See, that's why some people commit suicide. Because their focus is on them. They are providing. And all of a sudden, their resources run out and they're not God after all and they don't know what to do with it. Riches can cause us to forget our mortality. You see, he was going to live forever. Well, maybe not forever. We know we're not going to live forever. But death is way out there somewhere. It's not anywhere close. I mean, it's 20, 30, 40. It's a long time, of, it's a long time from now. But a God focus helps us to remember that we don't choose the time of our death. I'm very grateful to have a son, two sons that are alive today. Last Sunday evening, Wendell was riding down the road with the rest of, uh, you know, in a, in a line of cars. Uh, his other cousins, and uh, all of a sudden, this guy just pulls right smack in front of him. Could have been bad. Wasn't good, but he's still here. We don't have, we don't choose our date of departure, and we need to remember that is a God choice. our God is our God. We live with the reality of our life in his hands. And if we are our God, we think we'll be here a long, long time. So while riches can be a catalyst for, for a, a misplaced focus, a, a wrong God, um, the real issue is that we have made ourselves into God. We, we, we can become self-focused, self-pleasing, self-trusting. And so the solution to any problem becomes me. And so when God goes to correct us, um, sometimes our, the way we have positioned ourselves and wrapped ourselves up sort of protects us. We're sort of like the, the little boy who knew he's going to get a whip and then he sticks an extra pair of pants on. Um, or two. And uh, sometimes we're, we're so fearful of life that we, we protect ourselves with all these extra layers of protection. And so when God has to deal with us, it can be sort of severe. I'm going to slip over for just a moment to, uh, to James chapter 1. 
I'd like to read just a few verses there. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the, of the, as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no longer, no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withers the grass and the flower thereof falls, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. And I'm not sure what all that word might hold, but I... I tend to believe that includes the, the thing of testing. Sometimes God tests us. And sometimes I have experienced that God often touches me in the pocketbook when he wants to get my attention. And, uh, you know, I've been grateful for that. I'm just glad God didn't touch me somewhere else. But when we insulate ourselves so well, sometimes in the financial way, God has to touch other things to get our attention. And I'd a whole lot rather he touched me there than some other places. Not saying he won't, but uh, God, God's the one who chooses. You know, especially for men, a lack of resources strikes at the base of our self-confidence. You know, we especially are, we, we feel responsible and we are responsible to care for our families and provide those things. And when all of a sudden I can't do what I feel responsible to do and what I am responsible to do, it hurts. It makes you feel real small. And um, it makes you realize you're not in charge. There's somebody else in charge. Well, those are some of the those are some of the ways I think that that riches resources can hinder our ability to um, be a citizen of the kingdom. But I'd like to I'd like to look at what Jesus brought to the disciples, the, the lessons, the the attitudes that are necessary to be a kingdom, be a part of the kingdom, be a kingdom worker. Back to Luke 12. I'd like to continue reading. In verse uh, 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, take no thought or don't worry about your life, what you shall eat, or for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, neither have storehouse or barn, and God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, by taking thought, or by thinking about it, can add to his stature one cupid. Wouldn't you just love to grow 18 inches just by thinking about it? You ever wish you had an arm, you know, that uh, you reach something up on top and you just think about it and your arm just goes, whoop. wouldn't that be handy? <clears throat> if you then are not able to do this thing which is least, okay, come on now, the thing which is least, 
In other words, Jesus is saying that's the easy thing. Why take you thought? Why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothe the grass which today which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be of a doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girt about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for the Lord, for their Lord, when he return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open to him immediately. I think we'll stop there. What are the attitudes necessary? Remember, Jesus told us that we need to become like little children. Except you become like a little child. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so I think, first of all, we see here a complete and absolute trust and reliance on the Father. Take no thought. Take no thought, don't worry. For your father knows you have need of these things. In fact, Jesus even told them back in verse 11, which we didn't read, he said, when they, when they bring you up to the rulers, and he said, don't, take no thought, don't worry about what you're going to say, how you're going to answer. For the Holy Ghost will teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. He says, rely upon the Father. We also need a proper perspective about what's really important. Verse 23, the life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. There's other things that are more important than these things. And that's not only when it comes to resources. I think that comes in a lot of other areas. We need a proper perspective on what's really important. And some things, Jesus says, are more important than even the basic necessities of life. We need confidence in our value to God. God feeds them of how much more are you better than the fowls? How important are you to God? See, sometimes I think people get the idea that, that somehow God gives, you are, you are God's tool. So God's just going to use you. He gives you this stuff so that you can go do this for him and you can do that for him. And that is somewhat true. But that's not, oh, that's not totally true. Jesus is saying God is, God is taking care of you. You are of concern to God. God cares about you personally. He knows what you need. Not only in physical things, but in other things. 
You see, when we understand that, that we are valuable to God, that he personally cares for you, he gives individual attention to you, then when difficulty comes, we can trust because we know that we are important to God. We must be properly aware of our complete helplessness and lack of resources. See, that's hard for someone who has lots because they feel like, well, I got it all sewed up. It's all in the bag. All I have to do is go pull it out. And, um, and you know, it's, uh, it's you know, if, if I want something, I can go get it. If I, you know, don't like what's happening, I can... I can give money and maybe I can get my way on this situation. I mean, it happens all the time, especially in, in the um, upper society. But we must be properly aware of our complete helplessness and lack of resources. And that's where he tells us, you know, which of you can just add 18 inches onto your height just by thinking about it? And, um, you know, if you can't do that, why are you worried about all the other stuff? And uh, we somehow don't look at it that way, do we? We think, boy, if we could, if we could do that, we could do anything. Um, you know, why do we thrash about trying to solve our own problems? and provide for all our own needs when God already has it taken care of. Jesus tells us that we're to rest in the almighty arms of God. You know, it's His, it's him that is our guidance. It is him. He's our GPS. He's our gasoline, our caffeine, our rest, and our motivation. Sorry for the... <laughs> We uh, not only need to be aware of our helplessness, we need to seek the kingdom of God first. You know, if the kingdom of God is eternal, if its investments bring eternal returns, then he says invest in it. That's where it is. And trust God to take care of the rest. I don't think, as I said earlier, that that means that we are to be careless with the resources God gives us. But there are times, particularly when God um, God takes us through a test, and everything that we had that we thought would take care of things somehow goes out the window. And there's times that we, we work really hard and we try to do all the right things. And, and we use those words, well, if I only. If I only had this, if I only had that. And we don't. It's not there. And then we turn our back and all of a sudden God just seems to uh, use his, his, his shovel and dumps it out on top of us. 
You know, it's, it's nothing we can't look at and say, well, it was my wisdom. It was, it was God. Seek the kingdom of God first and trust God to take care of the rest. A, uh, and we need to have a desire for lasting treasure. You know, our heart will follow our investment, Jesus said. And, um, and so if we want to have our heart to be where it needs to be, then we need to, to put our investment where we want our heart to be. And finally, we need to have a longing for the return of Jesus. Let your loins be girt about and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. But we still haven't quite answered that question. How does this relate to a rich man entering the kingdom? You know, that was our question at the beginning. How do these things relate to whether or not we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because in a lot of ways, these things are a, they are a result of something that happens inside. But riches do lead us to some stinking thinking. And, um, you know, I, I think it, it affects our, our ability to, to come into the kingdom because Jesus said that in order to come into the kingdom, we need to, be, we need to think as a child. And thinking as a child and handling riches somehow doesn't seem to quite fit together. You know, riches... I think basically because riches lead us to self-focus and self has become our God and we have become our Savior. And so when, we, when that happens, we make um, wrong things important. We become discontented rather than grateful. We become the solutions to our problems, particularly I think in the area that we create the solution for our sin rather than allowing Jesus to be the solution for it. God said there's only one solution for the sin of man, and that's the blood of Jesus. There is only one power that gives us the power to live an overcoming life, and that is the resurrection of Christ. And if we bring any other solution for instead of God's solution, then we put ourselves in great jeopardy. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Actually, I think I'm just going to read verse um, 
16. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. You know, the kingdom attitudes, our attitudes toward things often affect our ability to accept the grace of God in our lives. If I am going to receive the forgiveness and the power of God in my life, I must rely upon the cross alone for my justification, for my sanctification, and in my redemption. I cannot, by doing right, be justified by God. I cannot keep a standard that makes myself useful and ready for God's use. I must rely upon Jesus and trust in his work in my life. You see, because everything good that comes from me, and there should be a lot good that comes from your life and my life. There should be. There will be if I rely upon him. Come, but it comes as a result of Jesus Christ. And when I have, when he is my God and he is my Savior, my definition of important things comes from God and his word and not my imagination. He is my focus. It does not come from my opinion, from my culture, or from my preference. My definition of important is shaped by my God whether it is him or whether it is me. And that's a lowercase g. That was Paul's position. That was his argument throughout all his, his writings. We must have confidence in our value to God. You know, we must remember that God wants us to be saved more than we want to be saved. He says in Timothy, for I know whom I have fully believed and I'm thoroughly persuaded that he is able to keep what I've given unto him against that day. And we must have a proper view of our own helplessness. The people ask Jesus, what shall I do that I can do the work of God? And I have often been astounded at Jesus' answer. He says, the work of God is to believe on him whom he has sent. And if you're like me, you say, but that's not enough. But you know, it's the only thing, it's the only thing that can transform your life. Because as we talked about in Sunday school, faith will always work. You cannot have faith without works. But those works will be a work that comes from, from faith. We must have a proper view of our own helplessness. 
If the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies. When these attitudes are present concerning our salvation, we will seek the kingdom of God, we will desire lasting treasure, and we will long for the return of Jesus. And when these attitudes are not present, we will see a focus on works. We will trust in our own performance. We will make things important that, not, that are not important to God. We will define a person's godliness by his financial success. Brothers and sisters, I'm fearful that many conservative Christians will miss out on heaven because good works have become their God which really means that they have become their own God and have defined what they believe will have defined good based on their own value system rather than the value system of God. Paul said in Romans chapter two, chapter 10, verse two, he's talking about Israel. He says, I bear them witness they have a zeal for God only it is a zeal without knowledge. For because they were ignorant of God's righteousness and sought to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. I'd like to remind you, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Paul declared that he had suffered the loss of all things. And those were not only physical things. They were they were religious things. He had suffered the loss of all things so that he could win Christ. So I ask you, who will be on your throne? Will it be your righteousness or will it be the righteousness of Christ that comes through faith? Will it be your ideas or will it be what God says in his word? Will you seek his kingdom or will you seek your kingdom? And I'd like to take you back to the verse we read earlier. I advise of you to buy of me gold refined by fire that you may be rich in white raiment to clothe yourself so that the shame of your nakedness may not be man made manifest. And I save to anoint your eyes in order that you may see all whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be full of zeal and repent. And repent means to agree, to turn, to agree with God and to turn. Repentance is not only for those with gross sin. Repentance is a way of life for us. It's, a, it's, a, it's when God shows us these things in our life and our way of thinking that is not in agreement with his word that we say, yes, God, you're right and I'm wrong. 